Peter, Peter, how you doing? Pumpkin eater. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> doing well. Yes, how are you? Doing well. Good. So I, I thought about whether I would share this on on um, the podcast or not, but we actually several families that we went to the zoo with, we all got kicked out. Um, oh my we were gosh. asked we were we were asked to leave because we weren't wearing our masks, or or if we were, we weren't wearing them properly. So they had to wow. repeatedly tell us. This is an outdoor zoo. We weren't inside any building um, uh-huh. out, outdoors the whole time. We have a lot of kids. And the main reason they gave was because the animals are susceptible to disease. And <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. Oh, I, oh wow. <laughs> really? We, oh, man. I wasn't we, even uh, expecting that. That's why I laughed. It was a, it was a very natural laugh. Is that really the, well, so it wasn't even the I people mean, they were worried about. We did, yeah. Well, they didn't say yeah. anything about the people and, and it's half the people we animals. walked by as we were being escorted out uh-huh. weren't wearing their mask properly. So she was constantly stopping everyone else too, saying, um, you need to wear your mask properly. And, uh, and just, I, obviously she had to be extra vigilant because she was taking us out and we were literally on the opposite side of the zoo. So as we were departing, it was like, Oh, you better, you better check that person. You, better, you know, we didn't say that, but they were doing it. They were just automatically like oh my following up with everyone. It was it was cr- pretty crazy. Now this zoo, they get we actually have a tax to pay for the zoo, so it's uh, they're they're funded. We got it. We pay for them one way or the other, but we kind of can't. We canceled memberships, and it was it was silly. And the thing the thing that's ridiculous about it too is I this was like days after Newsom said, we're going to be getting rid of the mask mandate. So wow. he announces the mask mandate's going to be gone for what should have been a long time ago. Yeah. And now- Why are and- we living in the States? <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. You and well, I are both somebody- in the, like, the most illogical states right now. I mean, you know, just, yeah. I mean, you and I are in the- Yeah, this is well, why it's so cool to have this podcast because- you're in California, I'm Massachusetts, so, you know. So, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. We're to not- everybody else in the rest of the country, God bless you. We're, we're, we're envious. We're envious of you. For sure. Uh, Florida, yeah. Florida oh, did a good job on this stuff. But I think the, you know, I, I wrestle with that. I actually think, um, you know, that the state could turn things around. Obviously, it's like a, a long road if they are going to do that. But it's almost like you're yeah. in a foreign a foreign land. It's like a mission field out here. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity to to be an example and a light. And mm-hmm. part of that part of that is just pushing back on on injustice and false narratives that are perpetuated by the government and the and the uh, news mm-hmm. outlets. So we'll talk a little bit about that today as we consider some of CRT and intersectionality. And it's. Yeah. What I'd like to do as well is close out talking about some of the um, impact it's had on on our own denomination in the PCA. I think that's important to consider. And I know PCA is not going through the exact same thing as a lot of denominations, but in this particular area, there's a lot of parallels. I think people who are pushing um, an mm-hmm. agenda that is, that is uh, influenced by CRT they're doing yeah. some of the, the same things just across the board, right? The same thing that they're doing in major um, 
you know, major businesses, uh, organizations, like they, they go in and man, I, James Lindsay, um, I can't remember where he said it, but he was like, if I was an angry atheist, which he's, you know, he said, I used to be an angry atheist. I'm not so angry anymore, but he's like, if I were still an angry atheist and I wanted to destroy the church, I'd introduce critical race theory to it. Or I, mm. you know, like I, that would do it. And, yeah. and so, right. man, right. can yeah. we listen to that warning and say, maybe we should hold off on some of these agendas that we're pushing. Um, and uh, right. so we'll get into that near the end, but maybe just to outline what, what I would like to do and then. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners, maybe you could summarize and then we could get right into intersectionality. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, well, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a big topic. Um, we, this <laughs> chapter really is critical race theory and intersectionality. So we want to talk about both uh, just just to explain how we transitioned. If you didn't hear our last episode, that that goes into more detail on critical race theory. Um, and then we also talked a little bit about Jamar Tisby in that episode yeah. when, as we connected it to our own stories and um, our own experiences. But anyways, this is a, a topic that I think it's helpful to know how intersectionality kind of comes out. It, it really is related to critical race theory. And that's why it's, that's why it's combined in the chapter. Um, yeah. But the 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 thing we closed out with last time, I think, at least at, at one point we talked about it, was acknowledging um, sort of the possibility that these disparities, when you when you analyze the disparities within everywhere, right, within culture, <clears throat> the there is a possibility that that is due to some injustice in society. That's a possibility, mm -hmm. but. But the but it shouldn't be an assumption. It should be analyzed, right? We should take the data that we have and ex, and expand up upon that and consider whether or not these things are true. Not simply take a theory about why that's true and assume it to be true in every case, which is really what critical race theory does, right? It sees racism everywhere, and one of the ways it does that is by promoting this what you what we call uh, what is called standpoint theory. Uh, this idea that standpoint epistemology, the way we gain our knowledge is through our identity. And so if my identity is one of oppression, then there's so many different factors that feed into that oppression. Now you can see where we're getting into what will be inter what's intersectionality, but our identity is based upon is what, where we get our knowledge. And so, you know, uh, they talked about identity politics and standpoint theory which is roughly the idea that one's identity and position in society influence how one comes to knowledge. And again, it, it's always challenge. Like it, there's always um, some truth to this, right? The way we do come to knowledge is, is through our experience, right? But is that the foundation of our knowledge? And is that, uh, I mean, is that experience radically different uh, for someone who is in a, an oppressor versus oppressed to the degree that the knowledge itself is only accessible, right? Through Like the truth itself is only accessible through a, per, a particular theory, like through a particular standpoint. Does that make sense? What I'm, what I mean is like, I don't have access to the knowledge that the oppressed can have because I belong to the predominant 
culture. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, and I, and I don't know if you, if we wanted to remind our listeners too, I thought it was, I mean, the, the blurring of the boundaries, the power of language, cultural relativism, and the loss of the individual and the, and the universal that we'll probably be repeating that quite a bit, you know, but um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's all yeah. connected for sure. I'm just, I'm just looking at the last few pages right up to where they transition to intersectionality. Yeah. Right. Um, but the idea is that our identity is determined by our position in society and that position then leads to right that ultimately winds us to intersectionality where we have multiple inter uh, where we we stand upon an intersection from multiple trains of thought or lines of of identity so it it's race it's gender it's education level it's uh you know your income um the there, I think there's something like 60 plus different set, you know, ideas that feed into intersectionality. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, we obviously don't go into all of that. I think when they talk about it, they, they only focus on 16, but yeah. Anyway. So, so there was this spread from of critical race theory from based upon that standpoint, um, epistemology, which led to the idea that you just, if you're in the oppressing uh, majority, you need to just listen because you have no knowledge to contribute to this. There's not, you're, you're going to only stir it up and be unhelpful in the discussion. And so you need to just listen and learn and affirm, right? You can't, you can't push back. You have to agree, which I think, man, Coleman Hughes was really good on that. Uh, just arguing like how, how um, that is an assumption of the inability for the African-American community to articulate a response and a rebuttal to these things. Like it's an assumption that they don't, they don't debate well or that they can't have a discussion uh, with, with, where there's some pushback. And, and he, he obviously takes issue with, with that. Um, and I think many uh, in the black community take issue with, with that assumption. So, I'll pass it off to you. Sorry, I, I, I went longer than I wanted, but no, obviously all of yeah. these things. Yeah. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. And, and well, that's all. That's a great yeah summary of what we were talking about before, because there's a lot here. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a whole lot that we can discuss here. I mean, if we could define intersectionality, it was really coined by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, who at the time she actually taught at the University of California. A law school, and you can still read her article, Demarginalizing Intersection of Race and Sex, a Black Feminist Critique, um, I believe, of Anti-Discrimination. Yeah, so that was in 1989. And it was really actually quite groundbreaking at the time. It framed um, these many ideas in the term intersectionality. And, uh, you know, she focused on the idea of critical race theory um, and or CRT. And uh, it, which, which is the view that the law and legal institutions, what she was noticing the law um, as a legal scholar that she saw that they were inherently racist and that race itself, um, instead of being biologically grounded and, and natural is she, she actually thought it was socially constructed. And, um, and that was often used by white people to further their own interest and gain. And she actually did have a few evidence for some evidence for that. Uh, one of the cases that she often would bring up um, of a case of intersection is, um, uh, I think it was D. 
graphenine, graphenine, a graphen raid read <laughs> versus General Motors in 1976. That was a really big case. Five African American women sue General Motors regarding a, a company policy that they felt targeted African American women. Um, General Motors, though, did not hire African American women prior to 1964. And when layoffs occurred in the 70s, um, all African women hired prior to 1964 were were laid off. Um, and that was a good example that General Motors kind of took pride in the fact that, look, you know, we're not being racist. We hired all these black men. But Crenshaw looked at that case that there was still a form of discrimination against black women. And so a broad term to really understand intersectionality, it's the interconnected nature of social categories, whether it's race, sex, class, gender, and they're all like overlapped. Um, I wish we could share. I don't know if we could share our, our grid. I don't know if we can. I'm, I might be able to share this, but, um, you know, well, you have, you have one up already. Um, I can find one. Yeah. Yeah. It was just uh, something that I could I could bring up. Um, I could do it in a minute. But, um, you know, so when you look at like a picture of intersectionality, you might see a grid of language, political affiliation, appearance, ability, mental health. I mean, it's pretty new it's ubiquitous at this point um physical health culture age personality ageism you know marital status you know location ethnicity which is why you would see somebody you know the twitter twitterverse to say well you're just an able-bodied cis male um you know uh uh white protestant who are you to to uh who's married um, it's propagating the, the patriarchy. Who are you to speak to a marginalized Muslim trans, um, you know, or gay, um, man, um, who is, uh, has, who is in poverty. So that's a good example of, you know, the intersectional argument. It's looking at how the, your overlapping interdependent systems of discrimination. Oh, that's a great one. Um, are basically how certain categories discriminate against others. And so the, what intersectionality wants to look at is the overlapping systems that make it up. So that's mm -hmm. how the term intersectionality has been widely adopted. Many groups have embraced the ideas. Um, uh, Me Too movement actually embraces it. Hashtag Me Too, Black Lives Matter, LGBT. Now it's LGBTQIA plus movements. Um, and what they're all trying to do is that they're trying to formulate how to respond to social unrest in our communities. So they're trying to see this in our lens, which is why it gets more and more and more advanced. So this is why, you know, we, we're, we're kind of seeing debate get so interesting and convoluted now compared to what it was even four years ago, is that mm -hmm. people are now seeing it through this lens that is, can be utilized to understand these issues, not just in one particular way, but in a variety of contexts. So if you take something like the LGBTQIA plus community, the lens through which these events are seen uh, maybe slightly different than the rest of the population. Um, uh, you know, so, so that's a good example. Like the, the community in the, in the gay community um, or LGBT again, <laughs> has been made great strides in the last two decades. We're not, they would say that they're not done yet. In this case, like racial, yes, we have some laws that have been passed, but we're not done yet, you know? So there's yeah. still a significant amount of discrimination that you could find in almost every teeny tiny little, you know, aspect. In other words, it's really trying to find continued um, oppression that is um, either, 
universal or highly uh, deconstructive. I hope that's a good example. I hope I defined it okay. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you have obviously this is a, a list a quite, great, quite, great ex right there, quite yeah. ex a extensive list of intersections, uh, just topics of the intersectionality, but you could add literally as many as you can imagine to the yeah. spectrum. The idea is that the issues, you know, the issues at top are, are uh, privilege, right? So mm -hmm. you're from, you're coming from a privileged position in society and that's the normative. So anything that anyone who's in the majority on those issues or not necessarily majority because you also have male, female uh, distinctions, right? So it's more just, uh, who who historically has been in the dominant culture. Mm. Uh, and then you have those who are in the minority generally, but also in the who are less privileged or oppressed uh, mm -hmm. through. So I think yeah, and if I you look at and if you look at Jews, ahead. they're pretty actually high and close to being dominant, which is really interesting because in female as well, that's what a lot of people understand is that Jews will auction and Asians even will often get blamed for being very, very privileged. And they would often have to kind of mm -hmm. confess their own privilege. Um, the same thing with a female, like a female is actually pretty high up there. Notice that she's almost at a dominating uh, stance, which is really interesting. Most, you know, um, so a female does not, is not the same as somebody who's maybe poor or non-illiterate or old or unattractive or working class. So regard, wherever well, you are on the list, you know, is, is going to be the most, where you're going to have the, receive the most oppression. Interesting. So do you, so are you saying that if you're near the top of the, like, if you're closer to the line, you're actually not as privileged or you're, uh, you know, or, or as oppressed. So like the infertile yeah. is, is actually closer to, or they're, they're more privileged, I guess, than say the unattractive. Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah, it actually, it, it quite, yeah. And, and the book actually makes this point too, that often okay. females will, will often be told like Michelle Obama, for example, she just a few years ago, she was slammed by certain leftists in the Twitterverse that she said something kind of like critical about, um, I can't remember what it was in particularly, but a lot of people really got upset with her because she is a black, lighter skinned female who is cis, in other words, hetero. And Got so it. you don't necessarily understand what our group is necessarily going through. You'll see that all the time in this. And so, you know, females, well, like Judith Butler even has been called out by the trans community, severe, like right. saying, well, you don't really get us because you're, you're a full female. Um, and so it continues to get more complex in that way, oh, but yeah. it's simple in the sense that wherever you are on the grid, there's likely somebody below you. So it's, it's literally the reversal of the caste system. So you think of the yeah. caste system in India, you have the the priests way up here in the bottom, you have the lepers or the untouchables. What the intersectionality wants to do is reverse it basically. So the we want yeah. to upgrade the dominant voice of the oppressed, which in a lot of ways sounds very noble. I think that's where Christians often kind of buy into it. They're like, well, of course, that's exactly what Jesus did. He kind of reversed the structure, right? And they kind yeah. of, you know. Um, and so shouldn't we do that? Cause he seems to undermine the Pharisees and those were the oppressors. I mean, that's how Christians will often kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit. And there's a little bit of truth to that, but you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Are but you able to see? To, yeah, I am. The, yeah. My mouse. Okay. So yes. like if you're, so if you really wanted to be a, 
like to rewrite, you know, some of these injustices, then then maybe the ideal would be to have old, illiterate, disabled people running society, right? Is that the I that's the concept here? Is that right? Um well, I don't know if it's so much run society as much as, <laughs> right. I mean, what, what Crenshaw, well, this is what's kind of interesting because Crenshaw, I okay. have to give her credit. She thinks that like what's kind of going on is, is probably a lot further than she, what she really meant. You know, I mean, so she was, she didn't believe that racism just ceased to exist in 1965, for example, through the passage of the Civil Rights Act, nor that racism was a mere multi-century aberration. You know, she thought there, there was really no rational explanation for the racial wealth gap. Um, okay. that she would say continue to exist or uh, purported by, quote, colorblind standards. And she would say that discrimination remains because of the stubborn endurance of the structures of white dominance. Those are her exact words. I'm just reading right here. In other words, wow. the American legal and social economic order was largely built on racism. So this is what this is what they're getting their whole like, you know, the 1619 project and all the language that we have to completely uproot it because this is so ingrained. I mean, think of original sin from the Christian perspective. Your right. sin goes so, so deep inside. You have to be, you have to completely get it all out. Yeah, there has to be an imputation process. They kind of take that language from a purely secular term in the sense that it has to be completely uprooted. And so there wasn't so much criticism in the way the structures of law and society could be intrinsically racist rather than simply distorted by racism while other. Uh, otherwise untainted with its stain. In other words, it's always there, always. And so the way we see it is through this intersection. So the, the reason why these people down here are not as you know successful is because they're, we, it makes quote sense because they're not up here in this grid. Um, what, you know, I mean, so now. So I guess really, what I'm yeah, wondering yeah, is sure. what's, what's the, uh, and you know, I mean, I've read the chapter, but there's there's just a lot there, and I yeah. so some of it I get more than others. But what is the what is the agenda for like why do we need to understand intersectionality? Is it merely just so that we can sympathize and and empathize with people at a better level and take their story into account, or is it is there an agenda about putting those? Uh, reversing the wrongs, right? So those who are in the oppressed need to experience some oppression and those who are in the oppressed category, uh, you know, uh, by, vice versa, right? The, those who are in the dominant culture need to experience some yeah. discrimination against them. Cause I, I think yeah. that's ultimately where it does lead, but maybe it's not there in theory. Yeah. I mean, I think Crenshaw is suspicious because it has been memefied, you know, it's go to the mainstream, but her original intention for intersectionality, she wanted to see it as a prism, you know, like when, so you put your, remember those little, uh, yeah, yeah. little telescopes and they have like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. So that's what intersectionality was for her. It's a prism okay. to being a pretty, to really understand, to bring, to bring to light dynamics within discrimination law that weren't appreciated by the court. So if she said she criticized in her paper, for example, the treating, that just by treating black women as purely women or purely black, as the courts did in um, in the 70s, really repeatedly ignored specific challenges that black people or black women as a group often face. So her biggest concern was as a group, there are so many multifaceted complexities. And so mm -hmm. what intersectionality is trying to look at is all the different 
huge dynamics of, of the group structure. So it's not so concerned about the individual because remember what, what we're dealing with right. with this is the right. individual is the loss of the individual. It's the, you know, so that's why it's all about group dynamics for them. But intersectionality supposedly helps in understanding not just discrimination against black people, but also discrimination against black women or maybe even black trans people or yeah. So whatever, in other words, it's, it's, it really was meant to see how it's basically intersection, inter, intersecting identities through, um, through a wide spectrum, in other words, uh, okay. that you can't find in just one particular group. Um, now it's a fascinating concept, you know, but it does, um, it does reduce everything to one single variable. And this is in the page 128. And that is one single topic of conversation. This is the whole, you know, this is in the section where it's like, it's very complex, but it's also very simple. Just to summarize everything that we just said, it reduces everything to one single variable, one single topic of conversation, one single focus and interpretation prejudiced as understood under the power dynamics asserted by theory. So again, kind of like mm -hmm. what we talked about before, prejudiced as understood by this power dynamics, which then leads to is this kind of caste system that how dare you criticize if you're kind of above. So that gave an example of, um, what was his name? Peter Thatchell, who is a gay man, but he criticized um, rap musicians, black rap musicians who sang about murdering gay people. And he was very offended by that. And significant amount of people actually went against him, even though he was a lifelong human rights campaigner, he was actually accused of being racist because as a, who are you, you're higher in the spectrum here than we as a poor black males, wow. okay, in that sense. So they, you know, and that's where the, the all the sophistication keeps intersectionalists very busy um, yeah. because they're constantly finding division in all of their single metal meta groups. Well, and here's the, the thing is, every time we mm -hmm. highlight it, every time we focus upon some conflict that took place, some, some, uh, especially a murder that happened, right? We we highlight that thing. We raise the tension and we raise the, we kind of are, are va validating the assumption that we've been promoting, which is that this underlies literally everything, right? Every interaction we have in society points back to this. And therefore you highlight that. But the problem is obviously you're highlighting um, a very small portion of interactions with people. So in the same way that our social media feed doesn't highlight everything we've done that day, it highlights mm. the highlights, right? We only talk about the things we want to talk about. And so a certain, you have to have some level of, um, mm. not, you're naive if you're assuming that that characterizes my life that I, I only have those experiences in life. I only have that. Um, I'm only reading these kinds of books or something like that, whatever is whatever I'm putting on, on social media, right? Like it's it, the assumption here is when you're constantly telling these stories that this is literally what's taking place all the time. And so someone like LeBron James can say that black men are literally being hunted down uh, in, in culture, like just to go to the grocery store, they can't even sleep in their bed. They can't take a jog, right? All of these things are, are just to highlight the idea that, that rea reality is completely consistent with the narrative they've been promoting. But 
when we look at the overall data, we say, man, what happened to all the positive interactions? What happened to all the, uh, the, uh, the details that you're ignoring? Um, in order to highlight this. So we want to yeah. talk about the fact that we haven't really moved beyond racism. And yet, and so we highlight certain examples, but then we don't highlight the others, which is where it's, where the dominant culture is being oppressed by someone, right? Where, where white people are being killed by minorities. Those stories never get any press because it doesn't fit the narrative. Um, and yet it's happening more frequently. Um, mm. Anyways, that, that that kind of stuff is is just nerve wracking because again, it, it, what we come back to is we're we're talking about some we're promoting things as if that is the norm, as if this is just the normal experience for folks who are color people of color. They they're constantly being oppressed and being attacked, and yet it's 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 not consistent with reality when you look at the exact you know number the data. So back to what we what I mentioned last week where you know. Uh, Prager U was interviewing a few guys that about how many black men were being shot. Unarmed black men had been shot by the police and they were saying in the thousands. And yet the reality is it's less than 10, it's nine. And that mm. white people have been, sh unarmed white people have been shot more. And they thought, oh no, they had the white people in the, in the dozens or something way less. So it's the re people are believing a false narrative. The right. only way that has come about is because we've constantly highlighted a very small portion of reality, mm. and uh, and we're not acknowledging that that you know we're 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 making the assumption that this is consistent with reality. So, anyways, that, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that, I think I think it's spot on. on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I I'm following you. I mean, I I think I just. I mean, this is what's this is what's so difficult too, because they 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 do a tactic that's actually you know in in martial arts, if you can if you can like with like basically hold down your opponent, you know, and and um, if you can get like a I know in Brazilian jiu jitsu, um, if you can if you can actually kind of control them from the very top, you you basically right. You know, anyway, you could hopefully get get an arm bar on you them have, or whatnot. <laughs> you have right. you have, have a control. lot more. You have a lot if you more. Have your knee on their chest. Long, yeah, a knee on belly, or if yeah, if yeah, your hips are actually above their hips, you have a lot more control. Just right. because you're on the bottom doesn't mean that you're not in control. Anyway, one of the things that they do do is that Crenshaw even says this is that she even says that you know there will be objectors, and one of the main things that they're going to object to is that they're not going to like having their power taken away. So okay. the thing about people who are really good at this tactic is that they're just kind of smiling as you're saying this, as the two of us are saying this, and they're just kind of like, yeah, that's because Brad, Peter, you guys are cis white males and we know exactly why you're, why you're objecting to this. So, I mean, that is their assumption. And that's why it's actually very difficult to have any type of conversation is because everything that you just said and everything that I a hundred percent agree with when they're, when they're kind of listening to you, they're just kind of saying to themselves, you know, well, that's because, Again, I told you so. you, you're, I told you so, you're very uncomfortable. You don't want to replicate existing, I mean, you want to replicate existing power dynamics and right. you want your cultural structures just to continue to give people of color, um, you know, uh, oppression. And you, you're very uncomfortable with that. And she wants to get rid of all those existing power dynamics altogether. I mean, that's what she wants to do. So she wants to change the very structures that undergird our politics, law, culture, to the level playing field. Now, 
what did you just hear right there? You just heard Alexander Shoshinetskin's the, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, his critique of communism, because that's exactly, this is why people say this is the new Marxism. This isn't right. the first time that we've seen this. I mean, this is, this, that is exactly what communism wanted to do. It also, Marx wanted to get rid of the existing power dynamics altogether. Right. It wanted to change the very structures that undergirded the politics by the, you know, just by the, by capitalism. It wanted to change the law because law was being discriminatory toward the 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 underclass and culture that was basically highlighting the rich over the poor. This is nothing new, you know, but she puts it under the prism of intersectionality, almost like it's a new knowledge when really it's not. It's it necessarily demands anything that any, you know, um, that there's a it's not so much that there's a misunderstanding. It's more that there's an assumption that look at how uncomfortable you are in your own power dynamic. And that's why you're, you're not wanting to give it up. So yeah, you're, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's, we're comfortable. That's the, <laughs> that's right. the, that's kind of the way that they're looking at us, but there well, is a critique on that, but go ahead. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yeah. I, I was just going to highlight, may uh, highlight another mm. point that James Lindsay, I heard him say, cause they're, you know, the, the narrative is trying to produce um, paranoia and hostility uh, mm -hmm. among groups, among the different groups, right? Uh, there is a, uh, there is actually a fear among, for instance, like the Asian community uh, that has been provoked by this idea that there's this radical rise in anti-Asian hatred and crime. And so I've heard, I've heard, um, Asian Americans tell me that their grand that their parents are afraid to go to the store right now out of fear that they're going to be attacked or something. Now the pers the likelihood of that is is so so minimal, right? It's more likely that they're going to get in they're going to die in a car accident on the way to the store than that they're going to get attacked by someone because they're Asian American. But those kinds of comparisons don't fit the narrative and therefore we we don't talk about percentages so much and and we just talk about this radical rise when it goes from two experiences to four it's literally doubled right and you go okay but that was two to like the number of instances that are taking place is extremely small um, and so it's very easy to see a radical rise. There's also there, it'll be very easy to see a radical drop or decline in anti-Asian hatred, but all that to say, like, uh, so this paranoia and hostility affects everyone. It's not just like for, for the store owner now. So James Lindsay gives this example. He says, uh, who do you, who do you serve first? Uh oh, I lost Peter. Um, well, he, he talks about who do you serve first in your, uh, if, if someone walks into the store, do you serve the man? Uh, so two, two men walk into the store at the same time, a black man and a white man. If you, if you serve the white man first, it's obvious that you're, that you are, uh, showing privilege to the person that is like you. That's, and so you're going to, uh, you're going to promote hit, you know, you're going to give him privileged status among the two. Uh, if you serve the black man first, it's because you don't trust him. And therefore you, because you don't trust him, you're going to try to, you know, 
get him in and out of the sore as quickly as you can. And so you want to serve him first and not the, the white man. In both cases, obviously, uh, you're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you don't. The idea is you're, you're, you, you cannot win in, in intersectionality. If you're in the dominant culture, you simply have to just put up with whatever is expected of you. And so uh, the, the section, I'll, I'll, I'll try to stall here before Peter, uh, hopefully Peter can come back on. He probably had a, an issue with his computer, but there, they go on to say, if, if you train, if we train young people to read insult, hostility, and prejudice into every interaction, they may increasingly see the world as hostile to them and fail to thrive in it. And so again, the idea is we, we hear this incessant idea from the media that, that uh, this is the narrative, right? That, that there's oppression and that there's people who are oppressed and we need to uh, stand up and, you know, for the oppressed group and we need to listen to their stories. And so what happens is every incident that feeds that narrative begins to gl be globalized and catastrophized, right? So that, that it becomes catastrophic that this experience happened. It cannot happen anymore. We must put it into it. And, it, and it's globalized so that that one instance is exemplary of all instances. So, hey, Peter, welcome. Hey, hey, I'm <laughs> glad you kept going. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just, yeah. So I just reiterated how. Yeah, I'm so glad you did that. Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Good for you, man. Yeah, um, awesome. Well, the quarterback well, has to keep going. He has to keep that's playing, right. even though his, his uh, wide receiver's out. So I appreciate Yeah, it. wide receiver got taken out. Good. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, while you're getting yourself resituated into this. I'm I'll, fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. The On page 133, that's where I am. Yeah. So on page okay. 133, we're talking about noble ends, terrible means. Racism is normal and permanent. That's what has been. That's what the narrative is right now in culture uh, because CRT has become so ingrained. Uh, in culture, uh, that racism is normal and permanent. And then it says, how did, how did racism manifest in that situation? That becomes the question that we ask in every encounter. You're talking to your wife and you have conflict. Well, how did racism lead to that conflict? What, is, what racism was involved? Now, obviously, if you're, that has to be in an inter, interracial marriage. Um, but if, there's, there's, if you're in the same uh, race, then question doesn't apply. But the idea is you, you need to look at any interracial relationship as uh, where racism is, is influencing it. And so this, mm. is, this is where they say we are, uh, that is, we are to assume that racism is always taking place and our job is to examine situations for evidence of it. Well, that is going to secure business for Robin DiAngelo uh, you know, for these smartest, just, smart, just be, yeah, just be says the same thing in his book. Yeah. Yeah. Racism never, goes, yeah. never goes away. It just adapts. Um, yeah. It, you know, and I, I name and claiming pre preachers are the same way, you know, they are, I mean, name and claiming preachers. When you think about that, they have a brilliant, you know, the reason why God hasn't given you a miracle yet, because you don't have enough faith and you got to keep working on that. That's why I've been, they've been able to take a lot of, you know, your own money. This is a religion. And I just wrote something early, you know, earlier today, you could replace racism with sin. And you could hear it, you know, if I were to say, you know, that, um, you know, just when when you look at racism by itself, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that if racism's everywhere and it's, it's something that's ingrained inside um, systemic racism, so prevalent that it's not simply it's not simply 
possible to simply be not racist. We're either racist or striving to be anti-racist. There is no middle ground and we, we have to pick a side. And if you say that you're not racist, you're in denial of your own racist views. And this is kind of what I was writing earlier. I mean, and I mean, cause they would say that Jim Crow and the segregationists, they also believed that they weren't raci racist when obviously they were. But if you were to replace racism with sin, you know, sin so prevalent that it's not possible. It's simply, it's not possible to simply be not a sinner. We have to pick a side. We're either a sinner or we're striving to be less of a sinner. There's no middle ground. You know, you, otherwise you're in denial of your sin. You think of First John, you know. So, yeah. the ubiquity of sin is so prevalent. You must first confess that you're a sinner prior to fighting against sin. So you see the replication of this. And I, I do think one of the things about anti, a lot of the anti-racists, especially with Kendi. I mean, you could hear his aspects of his, of his fiery black evangelicalism of Tom Skinner quote radical Jesus and James Cone black liberation the theology. It's just they have a very secularized view of this and. I, I think this is where Christians need to really start waking up to this as well. It's a replication of what, what has been dying in our culture, which is which has been the death of God, as Nietzsche would put it. Um, and not that I think that's happening, but it's definitely that's what's going on in the sense of like people are kicking that out. And now we're having new forms of religion as as rationalism is on the rise. And this is my this is my disagreement with people like the new atheists as much as I'm friends with you know well friendly with people like I, I appreciate people like sam harris i even appreciate james Lindsay. where i would disagree with them though even though we're reviewing his book is that they are part of the new atheist movement and they do believe right. that rationalism pure rationalism or liberalism is is the answer to all this right well not necessarily i mean because i think douglas murray made this made this point when he was debating sam harris well, he was moderating between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris and Douglas Murray made a really good point that he said, what were they debating? I haven't heard that. Well, yeah, Douglas Murray was challenging Harris because he was just saying that we needed to become more rational. And Murray was saying we are becoming more rational, but what's happening, we, we haven't really seen what happens when we have an ant, a completely unreligious society, but we are starting to see that now. And mm -hmm. bec because people aren't nearly as religious as they are, are once more, as they once were what because we're, we're we are evolved his words you know to create religions we see so many new religions propping up and i think that's the thing is that we can't necessarily replace it with just pure rationality because we are religious creatures and that's one of the things about what you see about intersectionality and critical race theory the reason why it's so attractive it's not it's it's not it's logical acumen Okay, it's it's constantly self-contradictory. It's a, it, as a philosophy, it's very, it's very flimsy as a from from a from a pure philosophical position. I mean, when you compare it with people like Nietzsche or Camus, it doesn't it just doesn't compare. Um, it's boring. It's predictable. But I think one thing it speaks to is that kind of evangelical kind of view that there's something wrong inside of me, and this is where, this is where um, you know. Crenshaw was right in some ways. There is something wrong in every aspect of our lives. She's like right. this close. Like that's right. that's not an untrue statement. You know, I mean, yeah, there really is. But her answer is this just more awareness, more of a recognition. And her 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 idea is just to replicate it with something better or more equitable. And that's just so naive because you're just you're replacing sin with sin and then sin with sin. And, you right. know, we as Christians, right. we can really contradict. I mean, we, we're, we're kind of pushing against that because we know that that's not possible. 
Right. I mean, what we would say is it's it's what it's the pride of the human heart. It's an equity. Inequity is the problem of um, of not so much our our love for our own skin color, but our love for tribe, our mm -hmm. love, our 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 self serving bias that we have a bias toward our own tribal makeup. And that's why we're so competitive and that we will outdo you and out slander you if you go against our, our particular in-group bias. And that's rooted in our own sins. That's rooted in the, the love for self more than our love for God, you know? And so it's like, as I've been kind of thinking about this, it's there's, there's, they offer this very kind of shallow mannequin to the real thing, you know? I mean, I remember counseling guys, I counsel a lot of guys who are former sex addicts and it's like, they're just in love with mannequins really. And that's when they finally start getting better. They no longer want the mannequin. They want the real thing. They want the real intimacy. And I think we could start talking to people about this as anti-racism, a lot of what intersectionality is all about. It's, it's a mannequin to what the real problem is, which is, it's just a manifestation of, of something much darker. That's the thing is that my problem with her is that she doesn't actually go dark enough. <laughs> so she actually thinks it's just fixed and is fixable by just awareness and replication. That's you're almost like you're not going to the real dragon here. You got to go even deeper. Like, and, um, and that's the problem. And I think that's why I, go, I don't know if you want to start leaning into, I think that's where a lot of woke Christians get kind of, kind of, get bought into this because we're hearing a lot of woke preaching or not even woke preaching, yeah. but like kind of shallow, you know, just this preaching that's just kind of tickling your ears as Paul talks about. And if that's your theology, you're going to, you're going to fall into a lot of these errors. Yeah. So sure. I just kind of went off on there, but <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you are right on. And the, the idea that, um, I mean, you were talking a little bit prior to, to that, just the idea of your, if you deny race, I mean, they close out the, the chapter with mm. that. It sets up double blinds, right? Where telling mm. them that if they notice race, it's because they are racist. You're noticing race because you're racist. But if you don't notice race, it's because you're privileged and you don't have to notice race. And so you're, again, it, it just comes back to that idea that you, you really can't win in this, uh, with this reality, with this narrative. And yeah, I would, I would like to transition to some of the impact that this yeah, has had on yeah. the church and we'll close maybe, well, I mean, unless you want to talk about it in, in your context, I actually yeah. did. I was, before we even go there, let me ask you this because sure. I, was, I like that I was we're just thinking, kind of relaxing and if people want to end that they can, let's just have fun. Yeah, I'm not yeah. under a time limit. It's Friday. You know, <laughs> Well, the because I was reading a lot about in the last week. Um, in fact, Table Talk, their their magazine for this month is on anxiety, and I was I was just as I'm reading, thinking through, man, what what builds anxiety? Well, you it's it's fear, and and what builds that fear is is you thinking a lot about all like possibilities that could happen to you, right? Uh, things that might that might uh, disrupt your day or things that'll challenge your, your faith or whatever. I mean, things that could threaten your life. So again, we come, it just made me think about the idea that when someone is dealing with anxiety, um, the worst thing they could do is, is 
fall into CRT, fall into some kind of trap that that assumes that these points of tension literally have to happen at every interaction that you have. And I was I was wondering if someone walked into your office and said, "Man, I just I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety and I, I, my my heart starts racing and I get my palms sweat and I, I just don't know uh, I can't even function, right? I can't focus, I can't do anything because my anxiety level is just so high." Um, what do you do? Do you, do you go, well, that that's true. I mean, you should actually experience some level of that because there are a lot of threats right now. You know, you have, you're, you're in the middle of an intersection that, I mean, you could be hit from any side at this point, right? Like, I mean, it almost seems to me like we are doing the worst thing we could possibly do for people who are dealing with a state of anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, you're spot on. And they even talk about that. And when we had Greg uh, Lukianoff, Lukianoff, I can't pronounce stuff. Lukianoff. Lukianoff. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Brad, you're so good for me. You help me pronounce things. I've never been good. (laughs) Yeah, I've never been good at pronouncing things. Um, No, but uh, yes, no, I think you're spot on. And we're starting to see that like there, there are clinicians now that I would strongly disagree with who are not helping clients. They're giving Mm -hmm. in to almost like too much of a person-centered approach. There is a person-centered approach out there where you validate an extensive amount, you know, of what your client is saying to, in the hopes of that they'll make the ideal and the real, um, you know, that there'll be some type of connection. I, you know, I'm definitely, I, I, I do believe in validating, which isn't the same as agreeing, but I also try to help people see that anxiety paranoia, catastrophizing, whatnot is doing them a lot of harm. Most of my mm-hmm. clients are coming because they they see the debilitating effects of paranoia or the debilitating effects of anxiety where they can't even leave their house. Um, they are begging for help. You know, they don't want me just to just listen to them. I mean, I've had actually clients even say to me, you know, Peter, you're not giving me enough homework. I, I can't live with this. And I get challenged and I've been called out before by not challenging clients. And I've learned that over mm-hmm. time been doing this for 15 years that you know, people like to be, they, they don't like to be told, um, especially uh, that they're always right, or excuse me, that their thoughts are always true, because they often live in, in, in a lot of fear. And I think you're onto something. I mean, I don't think this is helpful for black kids who are in inner cities. I definitely don't think it's helpful for my Asian friends to think that everywhere they go, they're going to be, you know, um, attacked. And I've seen that. Um, well, at the same time, this is where intersectionality doesn't, it's been kind of quiet. There actually has been a lot of prejudice, but it's actually been inner city black um, family, not families, but um, gang members who actually have attacked Asians. There, There right. is, that is true. Um, now they're kind of keeping that on the low ground. And when you right. actually do a lot of research, there is actually a lot of hate crimes that's coming much more from the black community against Asians. But they're not really talking about that. They're still saying it's, you know, it's white people. Not not really. The evidence is actually much more. And I've seen that. I've, I've actually, you know, I've seen um, Asian hate um, in my office um, from people of color before. And, you know, it's not it's not pretty. So wow. you do want you, you do. I mean, and I think the narrative people, there is that Trump basically perpetuated that by calling. Well, that's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's not where the Asian, but that has nothing to, well, that would have nothing nothing to do with with an African-American gang member attacking an Asian. No, I mean, no, at least not that I'm aware of. They're not, they're not Trump really. 
So usually, yeah, it. most of it's happening in like very democratic cities too. Right, I mean, right. that's the thing where they're like 80, 90% of this, these cities are voting democratic. So it yeah. doesn't make sense as like coming from Trump. That's just, that's a poor argument. But I mean, regardless, I, I still think like to make someone better, you do want to could help them see that they're, you know, they're, they're really, I mean, the, the mind is really powerful. If I do, there is such a thing as optimism bias as well as negativity bias. You know, one of the things I teach my couples, for example, is called negative sentiment override. If you're constantly complaining about what your husband or your wife is not doing, mm -hmm. you will eventually build contempt and lack of appreciation in the relationship. The way just by your interpretive lens can destroy or make a relationship. Most couples will that, be huh? like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but what John Gottman often talks about, he talks about how one, you know, one, one critique needs to be replaced with five positives. So he calls that the five to one ratio. Right. What most couples will do is that they'll like give you it's one compliment and give you like 15 or you know 20 complaints. Mm -hmm. And that actually causes a lot of people to close down. So my point is, if you're constantly looking for things that are against you, you will be paranoid, not because there's racism around you, but because you yourself are spiraling. And this is why, this is where I think all the anti-racists, everybody, they're, they're all dead wrong in one thing. Clinically, they're dead wrong. Um, you don't change the world so that you'll be ready for it. You change yourself so that you can change the world. And what the anti-racists and a lot of even clinicians are guilty of this. They think that if you just fix everyone, that right. person's going to get better. I have a really sad case that I wasn't on personally, but it was indirectly. There was a kid. He was about 14. And we and the 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 all of the clinicians, the therapeutic mentor, um, they all tried their best to make his life as non-triggering as possible. So he had a lot of anger issues. He was very hostile. He would bully other kids, and they would have all these trigger warnings for the teacher, for the principal, for other students. Had to learn this as well. Jeez. So I followed this kid indirectly for about four years. Well, eighteen, he decides to go inside of a bar. And he tells the wrong guy off and the okay. guy took out a knife, cut his throat and kid kid's dead. So wow. that actually really happened in the Boston area, you know? And so that's what happens to people when you basically fix the whole world, unquote, Coddle. but you're not actually preparing you for the dragon. You just think yeah. you try to tame the dragon, for example, but you're not actually preparing him to actually fight it. He goes out and he has no idea what the hell to do. And this mm -hmm. is the problem with a lot of these people, the Jamar Tisbees and all these other guys. The reason why I get so uh, passionate is, is because I care about my black clients and all these because I work with them. I, I cry with them. I think what he's doing is so destructive yeah. because what he's doing is that he's trying to fix everything out here without actually fixing me. Right. You And that's anyway, not to. So well, you have to. That's you the have mission to, that. Yeah. You, you, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to fix yourself in, in that way. Right. If that not pick yourself by your bootstraps, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah Cause you're I, anyway. Yeah. Well, I just thought your, your example, that's powerful. And it, it reminded me a little bit on a lighter level of how the example they give in uh, um, the coddling of the American mind, how hmm. right by, by, basically eliminating all peanuts, we, we had this elevation of uh, peanut allergies. <laughs> right. Right by by trying yeah. to to get rid of all <laughs> potential strains of peanuts and anything like it became mm -hmm. where 
it wasn't just one or two people now. It was literally everyone had allergies to peanuts. And it was like, it was the opposite of, it had the opposite effect of what it was intended to do. Um, yeah. And so we've made, we've created more problems is, is what I, what I'm suggesting. And I think you're right. We've got to be able to say that what is happening, uh, the, the stories and the narratives that are being pressed uh, into us are, are, are only introducing problems. They're not solving anything. Wouldn't it be great, Peter? Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone could come and like mm. heal the tensions and like break down the dividing walls of hostility between us and, and actually bring us together as one person, right? As one man, instead of having this, this conflict and tension that is supposedly involved in literally every interaction. Like it wouldn't it be great if we had someone that like that, someone who could save us from our sins. Uh, it would be incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a feed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be great if there was like something like Christianity. I was like, wait, it's like, <laughs> did they say Jesus? Did they say yeah. Jesus? Right, yeah. <laughs> I hope he says Jesus. All right. So um, based yeah, on that, no, let, yeah, based no. on that, let me let me ask you what it, whether some of these overtures will will transition here. So if you're not in the PCA or you're you have no interest in this, I understand <laughs> if you just sign off right now. But this is particularly concerning to me because in a in a, a couple of months uh less than that actually at the end of june i'll be at general assembly in missouri uh with uh a, a host of uh, you know thousands of teaching and ruling elders to discuss various overtures that'll come before uh the floor of the general assembly and there's three in particular that are coming that relate to critical race theory um and one is a duplicate. There's two regarding what they're what they're saying. Um, let me pull it up. Uh, seek Asian American flourishing. That's Overture 45. There's two on that one. So another another presbytery just duplicated the same one and submitted it, just showing their their uh, in a, an agreement with that overture. Uh, and then there's Overture 47, which wants to form a study committee on critical race theory. And then Overture 36, which wants to appoint a study committee regarding white supremacy. And so I wanted to, to get your thoughts on this. I, for me, I tend to think that study committees are overused in our denomination because they're not binding. They're just informative. And we spend we put a budget cap of $10,000 on these study committees and I just think that money could probably be used in a lot of really helpful ways uh, out other than forming a study committee. Because, again, the information, uh, it's what you do with that information in the end. So we could say, here's some books to read. Here's some, thought, here's some uh, recommended resources. And then let's come together and put an overture here that actually makes a binding statement. Um, upon the denomination and vote on it, right? So we can actually talk about white supremacy or critical race theory, and we can say, are we going to do something about this? Instead, they what what tends to happen is these study committees will get promoted, and 
we are prone to agree like, yeah, let's do it. Research can never be bad. So let's do it again. And I think in the end, that is really perpetuating this narrative, right? So by saying that we think a study committee is necessary on white supremacy, what we're suggesting is that we agree with critical race theorists who say that it's everywhere and therefore it has to be influencing your church and our denomination. And so let's talk about how that is impacting us and come to some some sort of recommendation at the end of the study committee. That's generally what happens is a recommendation is brought to the floor and we either adopt it or we don't. Um, and we do what we want with that information on an individual level. So for instance, one of the recommendations last time we had a racial reconciliation study committee, the recommendation was for presbyteries to form a committee. Well, we've done that in our presbytery, Northern California Presbytery. And there's a racial reconciliation committee that is considering ways in which we can, uh, promote racial reconciliation in our presbytery. Well, so all that to say this, th there can be some good from study committees and I've been helped by a lot of them. There's a study committee on um, women in ministry. There was a study committee on creation, uh, various um, forms of, or, or views of creation. I'm getting into the weeds here, but these study committees, there's, there's two, one is on white supremacy and then one is on critical race theory. The one on critical race theory is actually worded in a way that would say we should be rejecting philosophies that are anti-Christian and, you know, that are, that are basically supposing things that are, that are against scripture. Right. And um, so let me, let me pull that up. The study committee on critical race theory. I'll share this. And um, and read through it with you. Uh, okay. So form a study committee on critical race theory. And it goes into all these, you know, passages, right? Whereas all of mankind, men, women, men and women are made in the image of God and all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus invites us to come into come unto him. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Apostle James teaches that the church should not be governed nor guided by partiality and that such partiality is a sin, whereas the scriptures teach that we're not to boast in anything but the Lord. It, and it goes on. Then it says, um, whereas racism and, and racial supremacy are forms of the sin of partiality and create a constructed hierarchy that is not found in the scriptures as an example of the people of God to follow. And whereas this is a particular philosophical system known as critical race theory, which appears to advocate the judgment of individuals by an assumed group identity based on the color of their skin. And this particular philosophical system contains an interpretation of the history of the human race that may be out of line with the biblical principles of providence. And so so I think this is, this is helpfully worded in that it's saying this philosophical system seems to be out of accord with scripture seems to be promoting things that are antithetical to the gospel. And, and so we, we should, because it's becoming a system that is increasingly influencing the governance of the nation in which we live and serve, as well as the academic institutions where our covenant children may be educated and the experience of vast range of secular philosophies necessary to rightly understand this particular philosophical system may not be possible for every elder in the PCA. Um, they're saying maybe we should put together a study committee to to analyze this data and then bring it back to us. And so I think it's helpfully worded. Uh, they do say 
in the end, they want to provide a biblical and theological exposition relevant to the topic of preferential treatment based upon skin color and race, provide historical information as to the origins of critical race theory and the overarching impact of that system of philosophical thought uh, on the church and Christ's mission for her. Um, all that to say, my, my thought here is, while I think it's worded well, I, I actually think the better approach would be to simply make a statement opposed to it. <laughs> Why can't we simply come together as a general assembly and say, we disagree with this all-encompassing philosophy and yeah. even trying to, as some are saying, chew on the meat, spit out the bones, because it's a, it's a worldview that is, that is literally uh, antithetical to scripture and the gospel. And so why would we think that there's some positive that can be pulled from it when, I mean, if there is, tell me what that is. Don't just say, eat the meat, spit out the bones and assume that I'm going to figure out what the meat is. You need to tell me where the meat is in these <laughs> right. theories because I'm not yeah. seeing it. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, what do you think yeah. about that? What's your thought? I, do you think this I would think be helpful? I think it's okay. I think it's a little shallow. I mean, especially when they say it may, um, you know, well, you didn't really seem like you took it stands. I, it seems like it's like, it's not offensive, you know, if I could be blunt. And I think in this area, we have to be biblically offensive now, you know, and not be cowardly. I think you're right on. I think we've really got it. I'm, con <clears throat> I'm convinced by just talking to people like Carmen and, you know, Ian, both of which, both of whom have been on our podcast you know, Greg and whatnot, almost all the people, Monique, you know, all, everybody that have, that's really in the, that's really in the throes of this. One thing that they all have in common is this serious kind of boldness of getting right in there and just calling it all out for all the BS that it really is. And they're not passively kind of just, you know, hoping people won't be too, you know, yeah. not, not too offended by it. Like we just got to really, you can't go in. Like the more we're, the more we're diving into this book, I'm realizing this is a worldview right. that wants no compromise. It's either right. you convert or you are part of the problem and you're evil. I mean, there, that's, that is who you're dealing with. This isn't, this isn't like your good old school, I don't know, existentialists, I suppose, like Irvin Yalom. I read a lot of Irvin Yalom. You know, um, you know, it's a lot we could, yeah. I mean, yeah, existentialism, which is, is like you exist prior, you know, that your being in the here and now is is how you know you exist and stuff. It's like, okay, you know, we can kind of dive into that a little bit and, you know, have some good discussions, I suppose. What does that really mean here and now? Right. Stuff. You're not dealing with something like that. You're dealing with, we have to convert you. You are either on our side or you're not. If you're not on our side, we, you are, you are, you are propagating racist views like so you can't play nice with this i just think it's just right. kind of like you know just we're, we're trying to be really careful which i've realized it just doesn't work it's it really doesn't right. work and i'm like i'm listen i'm the clinician man <laughs> i don't want to be this way i'm actually very you know polite believe it or not i i do i do <laughs> like i am you know i really I i'm not this contentious guy just waiting to debate people and Ooh, I just yeah. want to like, you know, I'm not, I was almost said a name from our seminary days. I'll keep him confidential, right. but you know who I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't want to do that. No, you don't want to do that. But I think you have to be very, very clear. You know, this is evil. 
this is rooted in a unbiblical diabolical worldview that is that is adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ it is the biggest threat to the church not white nationalism I, I you know that was true at one point you know um yeah I, I think that was true at one point a long time ago in Germany during Hitler's mm. regime I'm um, I'm actually rereading I'm reading parts of Mein Kampf just to see how wow. nationalism gets up which is really kind of interesting because there's a lot of inter there's a lot of parts of intersectionality that Hitler sounds very much like bitter against the Jew. I've been really fascinated why people on the far right as well as people on the far right, far left despise the Jew. And I think the main reason is because far right people, they look at Jews as far right people tend to blame like the immigrants for all the problems or they right. would play the Jews for taking the quote jobs away. The far right mindset's very much like that. Far left mindset Jews completely contradict all of their assumptions about intersectionality and about uh, about the main assumption that wherever you see inequality, it's because of racism. The Jews have been the most persecuted group in, in the world for 6,000 years. I mean, slaves, yep. I mean, I, I'm getting to a point on this. I mean, uh, they're they're ho they're really hated by both sides because they go against they they go against the the assumptions of both extreme groups. And both extreme groups right. are antithetical to the gospel of Christ. I think there was a time where nationalism, absolutely, yeah, 100%, white supremacy, okay, let's get into there, Jim Crow, stuff like that. Now, I think the church is like 30 years behind if that's what they're thinking the main problem is. You know, Satan is so deceiving. He never uses the same tactics over and over and over and over again. I mean, it, if there's anything that's, that is what where I'm seeing that's destroyed decimating churches, decimating Gordon Conwell right now, my my alma mater, um, the Sunquist, who is the main president, is just, he's really disappointing. I'm calling him out, calling him by name, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. he's totally given him to the lie of Black Lives Matter, you know, and all of that. Wow. The same thing with Gordon College right over down the street. Um, decimating schools like Biola, all these other schools that were once bastions of Christian thought are just being destroyed by CRT decimated mm. it's not white nationalism <laughs> okay that's just not what's happening right now i mean i think with problem with what they're saying it's so it's like it's kind of like i don't know it's i was listening to john MacArthur and he kind of irritated me you know i love john MacArthur, but this time he was kind of <gasps> talking about like the name and claimant group and how we got to be really really careful about them and this was this was dated about a few weeks ago and I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, John, that was kind of, yeah, I agree with you, but you're, you need to get on board a little bit. <laughs> and Christians will do that. Christians will sometimes like, yeah, it's a name and acclaimant group. That's the worst thing. That's, I'm like, yeah, that was true in the 1980s. You know, not right now. Like let's, we gotta, you know, anyway, I hope I'm not being condescending and saying that, but I mean, to answer your question, I think it's, I think it's kind of, I think it's soft hearted. Um, okay. It's a little, yeah. I think well, they need to be they need to be a lot more bold. They need to be like, look, man, this is this is this is evil and call for what it is. That's that's my well, opinion. Yeah. And that's that's where I am too. I think we can just make a statement about it. We don't need to do a study committee to tell us all these things. And it's really related. Yeah. Um sorry, sorry related to that. And and we we don't have to spend a lot of time on this one, but I just uh because you've already kind of hinted at that, these I this idea of the uh, white supremacy uh, having a having a uh, a significant impact upon our nation uh, in the past, um, and 
it's using this is written actually by the exact same presbytery that wants to do a study committee on CRT, but it's so it's got a lot of the same language. But here, I actually think it's problematic. He, they they think say things like, whereas our denomination's history traces its line through this difficult and complex issue in the United States of America, yeah, and and we've actually acknowledged that on multiple occasions already. We've acknowledged the fact that that there was problems with the way we dealt with racism in the past. And we've literally condemned white supremacy before, but now we're going to do a study committee. You're recommending that we study the topic. So it's like, what did we condemn? Did we not know what we were condemning? We were condemning something that, you know, was still very vague and, and amorphous to us. No, we, we have an idea of what, what took place in our nation's past. Let's, let's acknowledge yeah. that repent of it. Why are we doing a study committee now? Well, here's the resolve, right? Provide a biblical and theological exposition relevant to the topic of white supremacy. Consider the historical background and impact regarding this topic. Uh, report to the assembly the conclusions of their work and present any relevant recommendations for the understanding and use of the sessions and, and presbyteries in the PCA. I think part of the problem here is it's going to... Um, it's we're going to discuss the historical roots and current tensions within families, churches and communities, um, causing disruption and discord in congregations. Um, we're going to hmm. perpetuate. This is what, what I'm suggesting. We're going to perpetuate the idea that white supremacy is at the root of all of these tensions. We're going to find we're going to search for it. Right. We're going to find it under every rock now because that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? If, if we're going to study this topic, we need to start looking for the issues. And, and I, I, I just think this one in particular is entirely unhelpful. We've made statements already that condemn these, this ideology, white supremacy. Uh, we're against it. I mean, this would be like saying, let's do a study committee on murder, and why we think murders had an impact upon our nation in the past and why it could potentially impact our denomination, you know, like in the present. Yeah. Hey, these are, these are sins. We've acknowledged that they're sins and we need to avoid them. What do you, what do you think? I'm, I'm well, asking? yeah. I mean, let's, let's really acknowledge the sin right now. I mean, I, I know a sin. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, right now that churches are totally silent of police and just people, the way police are being treated by churches and the way churches are compliciting are being complicit with a lie that says that they just want to go off and kill black people. That's a lie. We've that's been proven totally wrong by the, you could look, you could read the federal, you know, the fed stats, nine black right. people who are unarmed were killed in 2019. Last study that this was done 19 whites. It's this, you know, it's, um, it's totally fallacious. It's a complete lie. <clears throat> so what is the ramifications of that lie though? Let's look at it. Let's just kind of talk about it for like use for 30 seconds. I mean, okay. We have defunding the police movements that are going on in the majority of cities. Murder has actually skyrocketed Minneapolis, um, Philadelphia, New York City, mm. even my, my town, Boston. Murder, rape has gone up in some places anywhere from 200 to 400%. Um, mm. and many of those black lives. And th the root cause of a lot of this is the high suspicion of police um, yeah. uh, of police, police everywhere are in Br Brookline. There was just an interview recently. There used to be over 200, um, this is right up, right up the street, um, about, you know, 20 miles away from me, um, used to be 200 applicants a day. Now it's down to 14 applicants, um, every year, excuse me. Yeah. 200 applicants a year. And, uh, they're retiring 
and they're the most, it is the most demoralizing job right now. And this is yep. propagated by a silence, mainly through the church, giving in to crap like what I just saw. <laughs> Sorry, but it yeah. is yeah. because they're not really addressing what is going on in our communities right now is that more black people right. are dying. And it's not from police violence. It's actually from other, it's from basically now police are not doing their jobs. They're letting people, um, we have a DA right here in Brookline um, that is, that is uh, because of what, Kimberly Crenshaw, that um, it's all coming from racism. So she's uh, she's letting go of people who are committing um, serious crimes. You're talking about rapes. You're talking about aggravated assault. One black person attacked a woman uh, in her 50s, uh, beat her up pretty bad, got out the next day. And the excuse of the judge was, well, it's because of systemic racism in our community. These, wow. This is what's happening right now. Where's the church? It's totally silent. Right. Why isn't the PCA writing about that? I'll tell you why, because they're cowards. And my own PCA is cowards too. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just getting on a rant here, but it's, I, I, I'm going to call it for what it is because we have to, we got to stop. We, we have to call this out. We do. We can't mess around with this because that it's cowardly behavior. What is cowardly behavior? It's not actually addressing what the actual sin is, but it's kind of like backpedaling and not offending anybody. Right. And I've been, listen, I'm a coward myself quite a bit. This has not been easy for me, you know, and I'm calling my own stuff out. I need to call, you know, evil what it is. I, I'm just as guilty of it, you know, <laughs> just, you know, but we, I think anyway, not to get too passionate no. here, because I don't, um, you know, just that's actually what's happening. But I know if we said that it would really be very offensive, but it needs to be said because if it's not said, we can't, we can't, show where how christ can still redeem where evil is manifesting itself in our communities and that's one way where it is crime has increased murder rates have increased rapes have increased all of these things mainly mainly through just one thing the lie that says black people are being killed by white cops that's a lie yeah. that's just a blatant lie so it's not white supremacy right now. It's I'm sorry, you know right. that's that's not the problem at this point. It was, and man, yes. when, that's actually one of the reasons why I left Mississippi because I saw that in a particular church. You know, I won't go into that. I've seen it. It's evil. It's wrong. But that's not the main issue at this point. The main issue right. of why all these kids are dying is that. And if right. you don't call that for what it is, you're just kind of toying. Because Coca-Cola could read that and not be offended. Apple could read what that statement says. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's cool. I might even go to church there. And that's the problem. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's just, anyway, I, I'm being preachy. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And I think I think what we're doing is we are we are fa falling into the same idea of coddling this this concept, coddling the minds of Americans and, 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 and making assumptions about reality that simply aren't true. Um, yeah. Last yeah. one, and I know we're way over, and I'm fine with that. I don't That's care. okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> the Thanks last for listening, one, everyone. <laughs> I've I've enjoyed. I think I think That's this fun. is this is helpful yeah. for me to think through these topics yeah. with you. Yeah. And uh, sure. and they're on my mind right now, and as we lead up to the overtures, and I wouldn't. I would love to hear feedback on this, especially if you're in the PCA or if you're a, a teaching elder and you're maybe even thinking through these issues yourself, you probably have resources you could share with us in the comments or send them to us directly. But um, because I, I know I'm just sort of scratching the surface here with, with these topics, but this last overture um, that I wanted to, to address is the one on uh, seeking Asian flourishing. And 
Again, I think there is some, um, the, the problem here is like what we want to do here is highlight one instance, right? Metro Atlanta Presbytery learned with sorrow of the tragic deaths of eight people in and around our own presbytery on Tuesday, March 16, 2021. Six of them were of Asian descent who were wives, mothers, sisters, daughters made in the image of God. Okay. Now, they do acknowledge, even though the ultimate motivation of this shooter remains unestablished, these tragic shootings happened within the larger context of an increase in violence in this nation against Asian Americans over the last year. Doesn't talk about increase, like how much it increased. Doesn't It doesn't acknowledge, it doesn't provide any evidence of this. It assumes that this happened because of this increase or something, whatever it is that's causing the increase, this is this is um, indicative of that increase, right? And and again, what happened? Not even a week later, in Colorado, ten white people were killed by a Muslim shooter. We're not promoting any sort of recognition of the families that lost the lives of loved ones in Colorado. Uh, we're not projecting in that instance mm. any sort of racial motivation. We're assuming there had nothing to do with race. And we are not lamenting at all with those who are actually weeping in that situation. But we're busy focusing on this situation here, which frankly is a much smaller portion of, of the reality of those we should be weeping with. I mean, why can't we be more generic here? Why can't we say weep with those who weep over any kind of death that has that has happened, any Absolutely. kind of murder that's happened, uh, yeah. and it's an injustice, right? For whatever reason, yeah. um, why do we have to make it a racist thing? And then here's here's the reason, right? It's because if we call it racism. Uh, anti-Asian racism. Well, then we can point out the fact that we have Korean Americans who make up 10% of our presbyteries, 11% of our churches, 14% of our teaching elders, which which already seems to be actually pretty healthy, right? If 10% if yeah. of our presbyteries, 11%, that's well over uh, the portion that is, to my knowledge, at least the, the portion that's Asian American within our nation. Um, yeah. Regardless, what it leads to is now we we need to talk about this increase in Asian American. Um, we need to have the commissioner appoint, uh, ask the moderator, sorry, ask the moderator to appoint an Asian American commissioner to lead the assembly in a time of corporate prayer with one voice Korean style. Okay, I'm not sure what that is, but we're going to have a prayer apparently led uh, by an Ameri an Asian American commissioner appointed by the moderator on behalf of our Asian American brothers and sisters. Well, again, if we're going to do this, I don't have a problem praying for people, but what about the other people who are weeping? What about the people who have, who have lost their lives to the Muslim shooter? What about the police officers, the families of police officers who have died because of the Black Lives Matter riots? Yeah. Are we going to well, weep with them? Are we going to pray yeah. for them? Or are we going to ignore the, the injustice that happened to them so that we can highlight this particular right. injustice? Man, I mean, why can't we simply have a generic prayer for all who faced injustices this last year? We're all we're all dealing with a massive amount of tension in our nation. And, yeah. and so, yeah. no, well, again, right. one, one more yeah. point and then I want to hear your thoughts on this, but yeah. the yeah. idea, what it leads to is this, 
let's explore with CDM and BiFate the possibility of producing a series of multimedia resources, interviews, articles, videos, podcasts, book lists on the Asian American experience in the US. Okay. So let's get a series of podcasts, all that, right? Let's do that. Let's coordinate with the administrative committee to have a future General Assembly commemorate the more than 40 years of faithful ministry by Asian Americans in the PCA. I didn't know we were disparaging any of that history. Uh, I, I don't, there's nothing stopping people from producing these things now. Uh, yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that. Are you wanting funding? Well, again, then then find funding. There's people that want to fund these things, so do it. There's no one stopping you from doing this. Why does the General Assembly have to approve you to put together interviews, articles, and videos? But then the last thing is preparing the PCA with earnest prayer for the possibility that in the next 40 years, God might draw himself individuals and communities from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Great. Okay. Uh, we we all want that. Um, here's the, 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 one of the larger problems, um, or sorry, there's a, Sorry, this be it further resolved that this General Assembly appoint five Asian Americans from diverse generations and cultural backgrounds to serve the PCA over the next three years by exploring all of those things, right? So all of that is supposed to be headed up by five Asian Americans who will explore the possibilities of producing this material for us, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this is all of what the book is talking about. I mean, you see so much, you see so much like your voice is invalid unless you share the identity, blurring of boundaries, everything that we're saying. Gosh, the more I read this, this is like basically, this is all the assumptions of what we've been kind of the book has been talking about. It's just, it's just, it's seeped in. I mean, it's yeah. concerning. It's concerning, man. I mean, it really is that that we. <sighs> I was just thinking about this. I mean, this year hasn't been easy. I mean, and let's, I mean, if we could talk a little bit about like faith, I mean, faith has been, faith is, faith is really difficult for, for people, mainly when they see their main communities fall apart, obviously, and compromise when they should be telling the truth. And I think your spot, you hit the nail on the head. Like there's such an inconsistency and that's why you stop trusting these these communities because it's like the church is speaking on behalf of one but totally ignoring the mm -hmm. the police and you know other quote white people that that died and regardless of skin color you know i mean we all kind of came together during 911 we i don't remember any of us just like well, it there's was not a racial there, there, issue. There are 45 black people who died and there were 75 white. Right. Kind of a study of that. It's just like, these are Americans, you know, and we right. all weeped. Um, wow. That seems so long ago on where we are now. We came together and um, I don't want to say that that time was somehow better, but it, it, um, the, well, the enemy was, were, was, was not, you know, within, right. There was this out, this it's kind of outside, right. Yeah. Now there was now a lot of, there was a lot of, us. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of Muslim, you know, there was a lot of Muslim violence after that. I get all that. And, you know, and that, that was, that was concerning as well. But I do think it's, it, it, it just kind of breaks down your trust when you feel like you're using examples of grief to fill your agenda because yep. it seems extremely manipulative on the recipient mm -hmm. end, you know, because it's almost like, what are you doing it for? What do you, are you making these assumptions so that you can kind of get off the hook? 
you know, I mean, so that now we could, we could all be all better. Um, Which is another way I, of saying virtue signaling, right? Are you just yeah, virtue signaling? Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I mean, again, going back on the Asian thing, I mean, the truth is if you really read the facts, majority of it is coming from black Americans in inner cities. And if you actually said that again, it's not popular, but it's the truth. I would actually right. be like, okay, you know, because we, we need, we can't just make these general, a lot of those statements are just so overly generalized. Now, if you're saying we need to go and we need to minister to black communities that are causing violence to some of our Asian Americans in the inner cities, which actually would piss off a lot of people in the intersectional left, but Hey, guess what? I'm a Christian. I'm called to bear the truth. And that's why I'm supposed to share Christ in ways that where evil is manifesting. That's an example where evil is manifesting a lot more so than just like Trump supporters over here. Maybe that is, I mean, I, if I don't want to do a comparison chart, well, Peter, but I mean, that's, that's, but that's true. That's just like 90%, I mean, a significant portion of that. If they're saying like, let's go inside these communities, let's kind of help other black brothers and sisters or people made in the image of God to have less hatred toward our other image bearers, be like, good for you. You actually said the truth, but they're generalizing. They're kind of like, I, I, I guess they're just kind of, it's almost like they're, they're, they're picking. They're wanting people not to be offended with their statement. It's completely replicates the corporate mottos of what we're seeing today without making any distinctive difference, which is the problem with where a lot of churches are going. Cause there's really no distinction between the Christian message or the Christian vision on these issues and what all corporations are doing right now on racial issues. There's absolutely no comparison that I've seen uh, with the mm -hmm. exception of certain churches in our country that have really taken a stand like, you know, John MacArthur, Bachman and, and all these others. I mean, but that's about it. Those are the, those guys are an exception mm -hmm. to the rule. So but yeah, here's the problem, right? Yeah. Like you, anyway. you have someone like Jennifer Ho, a professor of Asian American studies at the university of Colorado Boulder, White supremacy is the root of all race-related violence in the U.S. Even the anti-Asian, right? When you want to say Black people are attacking Asian Americans, uh, amid the disturbing rise in, in attacks on Asian Americans since March 2020 is a troubling category of these assaults. Black people are also attacking Asian Americans. In the end, what the what what people are coming to conclude the conclusion is that the reason why this is happening is because of white supremacy. White supremacy mm -hmm. is is at the root of all hate crimes. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to the religion, right? It goes yeah. back to this idea that our original sin is white supremacy and that it affects it infects all white people, not everyone universally, and that our savior is anti-racist agendas, right? Anti-racist yeah. policies, which never save which never right. end well, so there and, is no atonement and if i could if i could say this too it doesn't go far enough you know and the only way shoshaneshkin makes this point in um solzhenitsyn solzhenitsyn <laughs> alexander solzhenitsyn um i just like correcting here yeah yeah where which is which book <laughs> Gulag archipelago Gulag yeah. archipelago yeah no it's not it's um, um so, so <laughs> i knew that you're wrong about that so, but he makes this point too, that if you, the only way to really defeat communism, the only way that, that, that we found the, the one enemy to communism is to realize that you're just as evil. And, you know, the, um, and, and 
you know, there was a book that came out by a, by a social psychologist that wrote about this, that he said, you know, um, well, groupthink, for example, is manifested when you feel like your tribe is somehow more superior to others. That's the minute that you're you're in a really bad place psychologically. That's where Lord of the Flies, William Golding's fascinating study with the robber's cave mm -hmm. came out. I mean, he just saw that, you know, the minute you you feel like your group is over other people's groups, you're in a bad place. You do some real harm. You do some real evil. That's how envy starts to stir and sit. And that's how the communists really kind of took over uh, because they were sitting there, you know, hey, gosh, those darn Ukrainians. I mean, look at them way back up at the top of the mountains, how privileged they are. And they would go inside all these bars, these restaurants, and they would feed off the people's envy, you know, look. And, mm. and they never thought that six million Ukrainians just died like that. I mean, that's how significant amount of suffering and, and, and death has occurred, mainly through her article in the sense that I all evil comes from one particular group. And we've yeah. seen that through the genetic fallacy. I mean, you could reverse her article and you could exactly say that's exactly what they were saying about African-Americans in the early 1900s. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly what it's, it was exactly what. It, and so, yeah, Hitler was saying the same thing about Jews. Now, people are going to turn this around. Well, Peter, it's because you're a white supremacist. It's because you're you're in love with yeah. your power. No, it's because I know the depth of my own sin. And you share in that with me because you're right. human. And if right. you're not aware of the evil in your own heart of what you're capable of, you're just as you could do just as much harm as mm. your these the ancestors that you're blaming. And if you don't get that about yourself, you're in a bad place. You're in a very naive place. And mm. and because it's like the most abusive men and the men that I've 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 counseled who've committed affairs or or women who I used to who have counseled whose husbands beat them up. The one manifestation they always say, both guys, like wh whether it's from the wife or it's from the guys that have committed the affair, I never thought it would be me. I never, mm -hmm. ever thought it would be me. And it's like they were so naive to the evil in their own heart mm -hmm. that they never knew that if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, they could do something like cheat on their wife. Just like that. I mean, I can't tell you how often I've been told that. And just sitting with people in my office and saying, I never thought I would be the one. And there's a there's a sense of healthiness that comes along that says, I am just as capable of committing significant amount of crimes against my neighbor. And the problem with her argument, I mean, it's just I didn't have to read the whole thing, but I've read stuff like that on, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, online, <laughs> which is it's just this assumption of human virtue without Christ, without without or the even even as a you know, or just a naive assumption of the goodness of, uh, I guess, a naive assumption that I'm not capable of evil, which is yeah. the which is the foundation of how bias really occurs and how tribalism and 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 these things really occur where you get to the point where we're killing one another. So again, they're just not going far enough. It's not just a white problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's a human problem. And how do we manifest that? How do we bring that out? And that's the problem I think with your, with Presbytery and my Presbytery, <laughs> it's just like we've, until we really preach that, that universal yeah. message, we just continue to buy into the cartmanization of groupthink, you know, this yep. tribe versus my tribe and which tribe is more evil than this other tribe. It's the Galatian heresy all over again, not white supremacy. <laughs> it's the Galatian heresy. That's, that is, that is what's really dividing us right now as you know, what we, we just kind of talked about. No, we've gone on. Well, for a little I'm, time. I, I'm yeah. in your tribe, Peter. I want to be in your tribe. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> right. I'm, I'm with Peter, so I might be with Paul. Well, well, I I think that's uh, we could obviously go on. There's so many examples of this. We just yeah. We've just yeah. touched whoever's listening. Man, yeah, <laughs> thanks for keeping you, you stuck with us. You stuck with us. I was on a little one. The live the whole live stream thing is just a mess. You, you don't. It, it's very humbling, really right? To recognize how few people jump on, but I know we get more views afterwards and more listens afterwards. So hopefully, I'll, I'll have some resources um, in in the uh, show notes that'll point people to yeah. those overtures, to the article that I just shared, uh, and to just some various, um, you know, to various things that we discussed in this episode. And we'd love to hear your feedback. I, I'm, yeah. you know, we wanna we wanna. I don't we were talking about this right before we went live. Uh, we're not really sure where we're going to go with this and we're, we're coming near the end of, of this book. Um, so let us know what you think we should be uh, discussing, what you'd like to hear about. Uh, if, if you're one of the, the committed listeners, um, we, yeah, we'd please. like your feedback. So leave a review, leave a, a rating, send us a comment um, or an email. Yeah. And money, we'll, lots of money, like at least a thousand. Yeah. yeah. A thousand dollars for our pain and suffering. Um, it's we're kidding. We 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 we, we don't even know where you would go to pay for uh, for anything. No, right? I know. We, we don't like, have a we don't have a donation link. <laughs> well, sure, because if we put a donation link, then it's clear that we we are white supremacists. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's true. All, all it's about true. finding the. It's all about getting. All it's all about money. I am surprised um, that more comedians haven't picked on this. Um, hopefully, yeah. Okay. Well, it, see. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. It's been an hour and a half. Okay. It's nice. It nice was fun, you, man. Yeah. We'll I didn't talk, talk about we'll talk I didn't talk about CrossFit today. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. You did so good. Well, I'll cut this out so that we can make sure that it's not included at the end of the okay. episode. Talk to you later, man. All right. Thanks. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.